At Judges chapter number 2, if you will, Judges chapter number 2, we're going to continue our series through the book of Judges. Uh, Last week we went through chapter 1. This week we're just going to go through the first five verses, uh, but we will be referring back to chapter 1 several times today. And we'll learn how we can deal with uh, different aspects of our culture today, the tentacles of trying to pull us away from the things of God what we need to do. And here's a group of people that, that, that ended up being kind of half-hearted about it. And we, our world has too many half-hearted Christians. We need, if we're going to reach this area for Christ and this world for Christ, we've got to be all in. And we'll learn a little bit about that today, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And I hope you'll understand in the end, for those maybe who are, you are newer to church or maybe newer to the things of God, or maybe just trying to learn and figure all this out, I believe there'll be a part of the message that can really speak to you as well, and I hope that will be the case. If we'll stand to our feet, if you're physically able to, we're just going to read the first five verses, and then we'll get right into the message this morning. By the way, thanks again if you're visiting today. Thank you for all those who worked hard to bring guests. I'm excited about that, and I just closed my Bible. All right, here we go. Judges chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and I brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of the place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And let's pray. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. You certainly are a great God. Lord, we've come today, Lord, to hear from you. People have come all over the Portland metro area. Lord, because they, they didn't just come for fun and games. Or they came because they wanted to serve you, worship you, but they wanted to learn something from you and your word. I pray that they will not leave without that hunger being filled. And may you help me to get out of the way. Lord, may you flow through me. May you speak through your word. I pray you'll help me as I present it, and you'll challenge people's hearts. May this not be about me, but all about you today. May you be glorified. I pray you'll be with the children, the nursery, the teens, having their services right now. You'll just touch their hearts. Be with the speakers. I pray that we'll all walk away today being challenged to grow closer to you. Maybe there's someone today that does not know you as their personal Savior. Maybe they're searching. May they find you today. I pray that your will be done. We sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Years ago, there was a pastor who was making visits in his church. And as he went from place to place, he happened upon a garage sale. Like some of you, you just can't help but pass them up. You've got to stop in. He did. And he found a mower for sale, and a young boy was trying to sell it. And he thought, you know, my mower isn't the best shape anymore, and this looks pretty good. Maybe I should just buy it. And he asked the young boy, he said, how much do you want for it? He said, $40. The pastor said, well, that's not, that's not too bad. So he gave him $40, and the boy was all excited, and he gave him the mower. The pastor says, well, I'm going to try to start it real quick and, and see how it runs. So he pulled the cord like 10 times, and it didn't run, and... He asked the boy, he says, son, what's wrong? He says, oh, you have to curse at it for it to start. <laughs> and the pastor said, you're, you're kidding me. He says, I'm a pastor, son. I, I don't curse. And the boy says, well, you keep trying to start that thing. You'll figure it out. <laughs> all righty. I will say this morning before you get too upset at that joke, all right. Some of you are more spiritual than me. Pray for me. But if we're not careful, the things of this world... And by the way, if life was perfect, wouldn't the Christian life be so easy to live? But when things don't go our way, or things are frustrating, or things are difficult, or things are hard, it causes us sometimes to do what we didn't want to do. (laughs) 
We didn't plan on doing. But God has given us his Holy Spirit power. He's given us his word. And he has given us a promise that he will help us. But yeah, how often times do we get ensnared and entangled and drawn away from the things of God because we aren't focused fully on him? And here we have a group of people who did just that. They were given specific commands, given a promise, and not just one promise. You're talking about time and time again, God had showed these people that he was real and that he would take care of them. But yet they struggled with doing exactly what he said. Can you, can you empathize with them this morning? We know what to do. The Bible's very clear. We've heard the messages. But yet why do we struggle from time to time? Because there's a devil out there, there's a world out there, and there's a flesh inside of us that comes and pulls at us. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we see the Israelites' assumption in chapter 1. We talked about this last week. We saw they showed that they failed in their obedience because of co-laboring. They were showing God they didn't fully trust in him. And then there was the common sense that trumped obedience. And they weren't able to obey like they should because of their common sense got in the way. And then convenience came. And they chose convenience over obedience. And then compromise eventually came in. And then we see cohabitation all because they were unwilling to fully trust God and do exactly what he had said. And we get to verse number 19, and the Bible says, But could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley. They are in chapter 1. Then it says that word, because. And we are inclined to agree. Perhaps maybe we too couldn't have driven out the inhabitants of the valley because of the strong iron chariots. And that's a symbol for us in our life today. That may not be iron chariots, but some of us have vices, addictions, or, or things in our life that are just... Too hard for us to overcome. And most of us would say, you know what? You're doing your best. It's all that matters. But at the end of the day, when God assesses us, what is he going to say? So we have the Israelites' assumption that God's going to give us a pass and God's going to be okay. He's a loving God. He's a faithful God. But in chapter 2, we come to God's assessment. And we see, first of all, number one, if you're writing, his reminder. His reminder. We see this in verse number 1. The Bible starts off with, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. Now the angel of the Lord here is a messenger of the Lord. So that's simply what it is, a messenger of the Lord. And it's interesting because there was a phrase that follows that, came up from Gilgal. Now not all the time does an angel of the Lord have where he came from. But why is it in this particular verse that it says, an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal? What is so important about Gilgal? Why do we need to know where this angel came from? Well, if you look at the word Gilgal, it's actually a town west of the River Jordan, close to Jericho. It's the same spot where the Israelites had become circumcised, which was a sign that they were following him wholeheartedly, and they made a covenant with God, and soon after, they defeated Jericho. What a wonderful thing that was. The children of Israel knew what Gilgal meant. Gilgal was a completely... Uh, a complete thing when they knew was a term that says, okay. It was a term of remembrance. Have you ever had an inside joke in your family? And everybody's laughing at something and you're sitting there thinking, what's so funny? You say, oh, you wouldn't understand. It's an, it's an inside joke. And most of us may not know what Gilgal means, but the children of Israel knew what Gilgal meant. Gilgal meant and reminded them of what the covenant they had made with God. They were wholeheartedly on board. They were all in. And because of it, God blessed in the battle of Jericho. We see this in Joshua 5, 9. It says there, As the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The rolling, if you will, means to literally roll off that God had forgiven their sin. He had bound them to him and entered into a relationship with them. By grace, and it was motivated only by his loving kindness. Therefore, Gilgal meant to the children of Israel that their God was a God of grace. Though they didn't deserve his favor, though they didn't deserve his promise, though they didn't deserve the goodness and the blessings he gave, they he gave it because of his grace and his love for us. And may I say today, that's what salvation is for you and me. We deserved hell, we had no hope, 
but Jesus Christ was willing to give of himself on Calvary, as we'll look at in a little bit, and his grace is the reason why we're able to be a child of God today. We see the latter part of verse number one, it says there, I made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the Lamb, which I swear unto you, your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. The Lord was reminding through his angel that I am a God that is a rescuing, promise-keeping, and faithful God. I did that for you. Don't ever forget that. The children of Israel starts off with the remembrance. So, once again, God is answering their assumption that, hey, we did the best we could. God, what do you think about the best we did? And God starts off by saying, let me remind you of something first and foremost. And that reminder is simply this. May you never forget what I've done for you. May I say this morning, it's a good thing to remember and never forget what God has done for you and me. I know I was a 10-year-old boy. Probably wasn't the worst 10-year-old boy in all the world, but I have done my fair share of sin. But when I gave my life to Christ, I'll never forget the burden that rolled off me. It was the greatest feeling in the whole world. But it's amazing how time can go on. If we're not careful, we forget about how good our God is. We see the, Lord, the angel Lord starts off with saying, hey, let me give you a little reminder. But second of all, I want us to see today his reproof. So God not only gave them a reminder, but he gives them a reproof. We see the reproof was in two different ways, and we saw a failed purpose, a failed purpose. The Bible says in verse number two, and ye shall uh, make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And he says, you have not obeyed my voice. There's two different areas you haven't obeyed my voice. One, you are to make no league. This is the condition of the covenant in Deuteronomy 7.2. Frequently repeated commands of God, they had disobeyed. The second of all was to throw down the altars. In other words, you should detest their gods and their idols and their altars so much that you're just going to destroy them. Not, not that they stay there, not because there's some relic or there's some historical fact. No, destroy them because I don't ever want to be tempted to follow them. Perhaps the children of Israel would have said, oh, we'll never worship their gods. But we see that happening, especially in their children's life. I want to encourage us today to get out of those things in our life. May we detest sin as God detests sin. But we just get it out. And may we cling to the righteousness of God. But we see a failed purpose. But second of all, we see in the first preeminence. The conquest is not for ethnic cleansing. In other words, God didn't say destroy Canaan because he wanted the ethnics out of there. And just the children of Israel here. That wasn't what it was about. It wasn't about there being more powerful. Not now, Siri. Okay. Not to be more powerful. It's not supposed to be to where they have a, a greater rule over all the land. It was simply because God wanted them to clean out all the filth and all the wickedness so that they could live God and serve a righteous life and please him. So we see a failed purpose, but a first preeminence. God was simply teaching that he wanted lordship over every area of their life. He says, I need you to clear all this out so I can be the true Lord of your life. By the way, isn't that why God created us? So that he can be glorified and he can be exalted? God is telling them, hey, you failed in your purpose, my purpose for you, and you failed in my preeminence. You, you don't want me to be really, truly Lord of your life. Tim Keller says that they did not clear all of Canaan reveals that though they had not wholly rejected God as their God, they had not wholly accepted him either. And we see the children of Israel have halfway discipleship. It's kind of like that meeting you get together and they do an evaluation, and the teacher or the coach says, hey, you're not cutting it. You're not giving it your all. You're not giving it 100%. And that's why you're not being victorious. If you would serve God wholeheartedly with everything and passionately and give it all to God, hey, he would start blessing and giving you victory. Partial obedience, as we'll see later on, tends toward non-obedience. Oftentimes, when you partially obey, eventually it turns into not obeying. So we see God comes to them, gives them a remembrance, and then he gives them a reproof. I don't know about you, but if you're like these children of Israelites, 
None of us like reproof. And what happens? Well, the children of Israel come back with rationale. Wait a minute here. God, we, well, let's, let, let's talk about this. I mean, if you only knew what we really had to deal with, God, then you'd understand why we are where we are. In verse number 19, we read, but could not drive them out. And the children of Israel come back with, we could not do this. God, it wasn't like we didn't try. It wasn't like we didn't want to. We just could not do it. But what does God say in verse number 2? He says, ye have not obeyed my voice. God says, you say you could not. I am saying you would not. Now, how many times in our life have we done that? I couldn't do it. And God's sitting there saying, oh, yes, you could. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Justin? Well, let's think back. The children of Israel got taken out of bondage, out of Egypt. Ten amazing plagues that even the magicians and all that could, they they, they couldn't even duplicate them all. It was, it was only God could have done this. He takes them out of Egypt, takes them into the desert. The children of Israel, or the Egypt, Egyptian army follows them. The, the wilderness is on one side, the desert, the mountains, and then you have the Red Sea in front of them, and then the Egyptian army coming. They have no, no choice but, but to uh, do something that they don't want to do. I'm going to share this a little bit in the afternoon service, but the Red Sea was 1,350 miles long, and it was an average of 180 miles wide. So this wasn't like we were just going to jump on 10 stones and be across. I mean, this is going to be a big thing. And God opens up the Red Sea. They all cross over. And then he, by the way, you can't say, well, it was shallow. No, no, no. It drowned the whole Egyptian army. So it had to be pretty deep. And they cross over, and God says, don't you remember those things? Don't you remember Jericho? Don't you remember those times that I've given you victory? In fact, in verse number 2 of chapter 1, I promised you that I would give you what you needed to do it. But yet, you're struggling. Why are you saying you can't do it? I, I will do it if I can get you out of Egypt, if I can get you to cross the Red Sea, if I can feed and clothe you over two million people for months on end, if I can do all that, don't you think I can help you? Why would I have brought you to Canaan only to say it's too hard? It's okay. Simply getting at this tonight, this morning, what is your rationale today? I tried, but I just can't do it. And God says, no, 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 no. I said you could do it. So instead of you saying you couldn't do it, why don't you just say you won't do it? Tim Keller says, Israel's failure to obey was based on what they saw as good reasons. God said they were flimsy excuses. If you have children, no doubt you've run into this before. Go clean your room, son. Yes, Daddy, okay. 52 minutes later. Are you done? You know, Dad... It was really going well. But then Johnny, I don't know what he was doing on the other side of the room. And he started teasing me. And then we found these Legos. And then we started building these Legos. And then we got this this sword out. And he got his bow and arrow out. And we started playing war. And before long, it actually turned out messier than we started. But we sure tried. (laughs) Now, if you're a parent worth any salt... You probably aren't going to say, you know what, Johnny, you're right. What am I thinking? You did a good job. No. If you're like me, you're going to say, that's not going to cut it. You're going to clean this room. You better get moving. Or else you're going to go wishing you were moving. Okay. (laughs) Isn't it interesting how we as human beings can make up every excuse possible? By the way, before you get too... I get too hard on you. I hope you know that God's been working on my heart all week, okay? But we say, we just can't do it! And God says, no, 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 no. Don't give me that. You, you choose not to. You won't do it. So today I tried to pull out a few things. I know there's many other ways you can apply this. But most of this book shows how God is faithful to us despite our disobedience. Isn't that comforting? Even though we disobey, God's still faithful to us. But what does this book also show us? That God in his grace will insist 
on removing our self-deception about our motives and actions. In other words, not only is he faithful to us, but he's also going to get us where we need to be. He said, what do you mean? I think of Jonah. Jonah, go to that great city, Nineveh, and proclaim that they're going to be judged. Go there. And Jonah says, I'm not going to go there. That's a wicked heathen. They're, they're awful. They're, they're, they're going to probably do something awful to me. And even if they do listen, I, they're not good enough to get, to, to get you to save them. So I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to Joppa. So he goes to Joppa, gets on a boat. Man, I showed God. Well, if you know the story, what happens? A big storm comes. He gets thrown over. The big whale grabs him for three days. Spews him out. And where does Jonah go? Does he go back to Joppa? No, 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 no. He hides hell, tells it to Nineveh. What are you saying, Pastor Joseph? I'm simply saying this. You can, you can do it the hard way. Say, God, I know what you want, but I can't do it. Or you can do it the easy way and say, God, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it because I know you're going to get me there eventually, and I don't want to go the hard way. Now, I know some of you could testify, including me, you've tried the hard way, and it's not fun. It's so much easier just to do it right away, is it not? But I just wrote a few things down, and it's worth asking ourselves this question. Where am I saying I can't, but God is saying you won't? What about your life? Now, I don't know you very well, especially your personal life and what you're struggling with. A lot of you, I don't know. And by the way, you don't know mine. Why? Because we don't usually have a little billboard that says, here's the top six things I'm struggling with. I just really want you to know about so you can pray for me and you can gossip about me. Here you go. We don't do that. But you know, and I know. Here's one I wrote down, forgiveness. Several years ago, our landlord um, that we had at the time did not give us our deposit back when we moved. And it put our family in a very difficult season. And I was infuriated at them. I mean, I was really upset. You say, you are a pastor. I know, but I was still infuriated. I'll never forget getting upset at them. And I preached a message on forgiveness one night, and I waxed eloquent. And I laughed that night from church, and I thought, man, they all learned how to forgive. That next day, I came into work, and across the street... Turlock's about 75,000. So, I mean, the chances of running into this guy is very slim to none. And who do I see walking across the street from the Quest Diagnostic Center? That landlord. And immediately I forgave him my heart. No, no, no. Immediately I said, there's that guy again. I hope something awful happens to him. I hope he trips on that sidewalk where the root has pushed it up a little bit. And he'll fall down and I will pray for him while I laugh. You know. I'm telling you, I was, I was, I was dealing with, with something. <laughs> and the Lord smote my heart and said, how dare you? You preached a good message last night, or so you think. But the person who needed it the most didn't truly understand it. I'll never forget that day. I said, God, I'm so sorry. I never went up to him, never talked to him. In fact, I don't even know if he thought I was mad at him. But in my heart, I needed to get it right, and I did. To this day, I've forgiven him. Now, I'll probably never rent from him again, but I've forgiven him. <laughs> Why? Because we, we, there's some things that we say, I just can't do it, God. And God says, no, you can't. You just won't. Here's another one I wrote down, this area of temptation. Temptation. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. That ye may be also to bear it. You see God will never put us in a position. Where we can't obey him. And oftentimes we say. That the temptation is just too strong. That addiction is too strong. That anger issue is too strong. It's just, it's just too strong. It's, it's just I can't do it. And God says oh you can. Proverbs 4, verse 14 gives us a good formula for that. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. I can't help but thinking if we will obey and follow this formula, it will probably help us in a lot of temptations and a lot of sin we deal with. Years ago, there was a pastor who 
was having some health issues. He was overweight. And the doctor said, you've got to stop eating donuts. He says, I love donuts. Donuts are what I look forward to every morning. Why are you going to rob me of the one thing I love? So he finally made a decision. I'm not going to eat donuts. He told his secretary, I'm not going to eat donuts. That next day, he's driving into to work and he said, God, I will not stop at the donut shop if there's no parking spaces. <laughs> so about 25 minutes later, he comes in eating with a box of donuts. And his secretary said, Pastor, you said you weren't going to do that anymore. He said, it's the funniest thing. He said, I challenged God. I said, God, there's no, no parking spaces open when I go by. It's when I won't stop. And wouldn't you know, after the eighth time around, there was two spots open. <laughs> and I had to eat my donut. Say, Pastor Justin, is that a true story? I don't think so. But I will say this. Don't we live our life that way sometimes? I tried, God. I tried to get victory over that sin. I tried eight times. And God says, why did you even drive that way? Why did you even pass by it? Why did you even entertain that thought? Why did you get on your device? Why did, why, why did you do that? Why, why would you do that? Why would you even go down that aisle in the store? Why would you do that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says this, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know what Paul says? I have to keep my body under subjection. Oh, Paul, you're half the New Testament. You probably single-handedly led more people to Christ, discipled more people than anybody in the world. You surely didn't struggle with sin. Paul says, I keep my body under subjection. Because he knew what he was capable of. Psalms 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. We got to go to the spiritual leadership conference this week, and what a powerful meeting it was for our pastoral staff. One of the speakers said this illustration. I'm going to borrow it today. He said, years ago, there was an Englishman uh, had an estate high up in the mountains, and it was a very curvy, difficult road to get down. And uh, he, had hired a, he was going to hire a new driver. And he interviewed three different people. And the first one, he said, how close can you get to the edge without going off? The man said, oh, at least a foot. I can get within a foot from the edge and I won't go over. The Englishman was pretty impressed. And the second man came. He said, how about you? He says, I can get within a half foot of the edge. Man, the man was kind of impressed. And he went to the third guy and he says, how about you? He says, I don't know how close I can get, but I can tell you I'll be as far away as I can. Let me encourage you today to stay away from the edge. You say, I can't do it. I've tried and tried and tried. God says you can. God says you can. Also, he expects you to do your part. Here's another one. Uh, Temptation, forgiveness. What about sharing the gospel? That's our theme for the year, is it not? Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Hudson Taylor said this, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. You say, why do we have church-wide outreach every month? Why do we do that? I mean, do you just want another opportunity to to make breakfast and for us just to go out and bother people? No, 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 no. We do church-wide outreach because it's a biblical mandate. And God has commanded us to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. The greatness of a church is not determined by its size, but by its reach, one person said. Here's another one, growing in our faith and growing the faith of others. Philippians 4, 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. It is only as we develop others around us that we permanently succeed. May we be a church that's not just sharing the gospel, but may we be investing in the lives of others and teaching and training them so they can also go out and reach this area for Christ. So we see, first of all, the reminder that God gave them. Second of all, we gave his reproof. Third of all, we see their rationale, our rationale. But fourth of all, I want us to see this morning our reflection, our reflection. Let's look at their reflection. How do we treat our wounds? Well, God sees any failure to obey as a failure to remember. 
What had they forgotten that God rescues? God says, I brought you out of Egypt into the land. He says, I am faithful. I will never break my covenant with you. The consequences of their failure were clear and catastrophic. He says in verse number three, I will not drive them out after he said, I will. They will be as thorn in your sides in verse number three. Their God shall be a snare. When we make something into an idol, it continually makes us miserable. If we fall short of achievement, promotion, prestige, power, performance, it can often rob us of our joy, can it not? If that's what it means such, so much for us, if I can just get that next promotion and it doesn't come about, it can rob us of our joy. The God shall be a snare, the Bible says. Idols ensnare and trap and enslave us. We have, to, we have to have it. We can become addicted to it. What is your idol today? Several years ago, I um, became a Ducks fan. Sorry, if you're a Beavers fan, I'll still be your friend. Okay. I grew up in Indiana. My football team, the Hoosiers, have never been good. But their basketball team has been good. So I kind of got on the bandwagon with Marcus Mariota, and I was kind of become a Ducks fan. And uh, I kind of got too much into it. One day when we were in California as a church planner, we had a great day. God just met with us on that Saturday. We had a good men's breakfast outreach and ladies' brunch time. And I just felt like I was going to do something great the next day. Really had a great attitude. And I thought, you know, if the Ducks win tonight, I'll, I'll, just, I'll be on cloud nine. They're going to think, what happened to Pastor Justin tomorrow? You know, We start watching the game. And man, it was very evident very quickly that this was not going to go well. And I started getting a little irritated. You know, the, the simple questions like, what do you want for dinner, babe? Figure it out. I don't care right now. You know, this is the game. You know. Hey, Daddy, can you help me? I will later. I will later. You know, this is important, you know. This is an important game. Don't you understand that, two-year-old? I mean, if, if this game doesn't get won, we're not going to go to the college football playoff. We're not going to win the championship. What's wrong with you, you know? You've you got to understand these things. Man, by the end of that game, it was evident we were not going to win. And my wife told the kids, you know, why don't you just go to bed? Don't talk to daddy right now. <laughs> That's right. You know. My wife was on pins and needles. And I was just defeated. I was just empty. I felt like, man, life is just awful. What am I going to do? You know. I said, babe, I got to go on a walk. Okay, go. You know, don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> so I left. I went on a walk. About 15 minutes into it, I thought, man. I mean, that was, that was everything. And the Lord kindly reminded me, no, no, no. That person you led to Christ today, that was everything. That person you were able to help in church today, in the men's breakfast, that was, that was everything. In fact, you need to get your heart right. I'll never forget, God started working on my heart. And please don't get me wrong, I still love sports and I'm still passionate. But I learned a valuable lesson that day. The most important fulfillment in all the world is Jesus Christ. If your sports team fails you, if your workplace fails you, it's okay. Because God never fails us. And we see this morning, what is your idol today? What is your idol today? What is keeping you? You say, oh, Pastor Justin, you come to my house, you're not going to see any wood images. You're not going to see any piece of bronze things. I'm not going to be worshiping. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. Talk about anything that's keeping your focus off Jesus Christ. What is it? What are the, how do the people respond? Well, look at verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of the place Bachim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. We see their reflection. They respond. The people of God are seeking, but they're more often failing to live holy lives. And we see a tension starting to build in verse number one. God says, I said. And then he goes on to, I tell you. He says, I will never break my covenant. But if you compromise with these nations, he says, I cannot drive them out. In other words, I have sworn to give you the whole of this land. Yet I have sworn not to give it to a disobedient people. He says, guys, you're putting me in an impossible situation. I'm in a dilemma here. 
I promised you, I would, through the covenant, that I would bless you. But it was contingent on you doing right. And by you not obeying, how am I supposed to bless you? You say, well, how does that apply to us today? Well, if you're not careful, we can try so hard, so hard to please God. But guess what happens? The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because we sin, the wages of sin is death. If we're not careful, we can fall in the trap of, God, I'm trying so hard. And God says, you're not going to be good enough. But I, but I gave to that charity. I've went to church. I've been good to my family. I've lived a great life. And God says, it's, it's not going to be good enough. Why? Because of the wages of sin is death. You've missed the mark. There's no way you can be perfect. Because I'm a holy and just God, I have to bring judgment. And that is hell. And if we're not careful, we can go through life wondering, hoping, trying, doing the best we can. And God says, it's never going to be good enough. It's not that I don't want to bless you. It's not that I don't want to be faithful to you. But, be, but because of your sin, I'm a just and holy God. And it's not going to drive. There's a tension here. Maybe you feel that tension today that children of Israel felt. No matter how hard you've tried to be, you're just not good enough. How, how, how much money you've given, it's just not enough. Oh, may I tell you, my friend, God had the answer for everything. How can God give us his covenant faithfulness, but yet he's got to be just and holy, and when we don't fulfill everything, how, how does he still bless us? How does this get figured out? It happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. God was willing to come to earth, Jesus Christ. He, w- he was willing to come and live a life here on earth, and then be crucified on an old cross on Calvary. He was willing to take all the punishment for our sins on himself that we could never pay for. The Bible says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you see this this morning? you believe this? I've tried and tried and tried, you may be saying, But God is just and holy, and so I'm not good enough. So what do I do? I have no hope. You're right. You have no hope on your own. The only hope you have is to let Jesus Christ take your sin upon himself. You say, well, I I need to pay for my sin debt. Well, you can go to hell and pay for it. You say, that's being mean and unkind. No, I'm just telling the truth. You're at a T in the road. Either you can keep on trying, or you can allow Jesus Christ to take your sin upon himself. I'll never forget the day when I get clicked in my mind and I gladly gave my life to Christ. The Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, I declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you understand that this morning? Jesus Christ was willing to justify yourself on Calvary so you didn't have to. You see, God is a just and holy God, so he demands righteousness. But we're not good enough. So what he was willing to do was bridge the gap for us. He says, you can never be good enough. You can never make it. But if you'll just accept my free gift of salvation, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh from the Father but by me. Will you come to Jesus Christ this morning? Will you believe him? Will you allow him to cover your sin with his righteousness. Though you don't deserve it, you can enjoy a wonderful life in heaven one day, a great victorious Christian life. You can be a child of the king if you'll just but give your life to Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. This is the only way the tension of judges can be resolved. And the only way that God can love us, both conditionally and unconditionally, because he was willing to satisfy justice, And because sin was punished and loving faithfulness, he will accept and forgive us. Maybe there's someone here this morning that would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I'll be honest. I've tried. I've worked hard. I even came to church today. I want to be a child of God. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to go to heaven when I die. I need Jesus. I want his righteousness. I need that gift. What do I need to do to receive that? Maybe that's you this morning with heads bowed, eyes closed. I will not embarrass anyone, I promise. I'm the only one looking right now. How many would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, that's me. 
I want Jesus. I want him to do that for me. If that's you, will you slip up your hand this morning? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody in the balcony, maybe? You say, I want that. I want Jesus Christ in my life. Please, please, I want him. Anybody else over here? Anybody else would raise your hand? I see many hands today. Let me encourage you to do something like this. Here's what I did. I put my faith and trust in Jesus by praying to him. I said something like this in my heart, if you'll do it with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But I believe and trust in you and you alone. I'm going to stop trying and I'm just going to give my life to you. Please forgive me of my sin and come in my heart and save me so I can go to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I promise you, no one's looking around. How many would say, I just prayed that prayer, Pastor Justin. Just slip up your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Praise the Lord all over. You know, if you just prayed that prayer and meant that with all your heart, you are a child of God. Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. How many would say this morning, Pastor Justin, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Man, I know God loves me. I know he gave his life for me. I've learned this already. But I'll be honest today. There are some things in my life that I have been saying I can't do. And God is saying you won't do. And God challenged me. And I want to stop saying can't. And say yes to God. Will you pray for me if that's you? Will you slip up your hand? No one's looking around. Oh, all over. Praise the Lord. How many would say, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. I've obeyed God. But I'll be, I'll be honest with you. There's some things that I've chosen not to. And they've become won'ts in my life. And I'm tired of fighting God. I'm going to give it to God today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? You're going to give my won'ts to God. I want to give my won'ts to God. Praise the Lord. Last but not least, maybe there's someone today... Now you've, you've asked God for forgiveness. You've done right. You've gone through this cycle before. But you want to you wanna maybe decide today, I'm going to reflect today that I want to stay close to God. Pastor Justin, I've, I've tried to stay close to God. And will you pray that I'll continue to stay close to God? If that's you, will you slip your hand? I want to pray for you all over. Praise the Lord. Lord, you saw the hands. You know the hearts. I have no doubt there are some very genuine people in this room. And Lord... Oftentimes, it's easier to say, I can't, when really we're saying, I won't. May you help us to trust on you. May you take our won'ts, and may you take them away from us so we can fulfill your vision and your, your will for our life. And then may you help us to stay committed to you. Lord, thank you for those who gave their life to you today. What a blessing that is. My last question today is simply this. How many would say, Pastor Justin... I have a burden I'm dealing with. It's, it's, it's a trial. It's a struggle I'm going through. I'll be honest with you. It's really, it's really got me down. Will you pray for me? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? Lord, you saw the hands as well. I don't know what that need is, but I do know you do. I pray you'll touch your heart as well. Be with this invitation time. Lord, may you speak to our hearts and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can physically stand your feet, if you will. We're going to have what's called an invitation time. Our pastors are here. They're happy to pray with you today. Many of you raised your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, but maybe God's touched your heart. Maybe you'd like to come forward and and just spend a minute in prayer. Maybe you'd like to uh, get baptized, follow it in baptism, or join the church. We'd love to talk to you about that and help you in any way. Maybe some of you just, you had that burden. You just would love for one of our pastors to pray for you. We, we may not be able to fix it, but we want to pray with you. We want to point you to the one who can, Jesus Christ. We want to help you. May I encourage you to take a moment or two to pray as God has. Maybe there's someone in the pew today. You, you feel like you're where God wants you to be, and praise the Lord for that. But will you maybe look around your pew and find someone you don't know and say, Lord, I pray you'll be with them, help them, touch their lives, work, do a work in their heart, and And maybe they're going through something. May you touch their lives and may you help them. May you pray for each other today. A praying church that will pray for each other is going to be one healthy family. May we pray for each other as well. And just for a minute or two, as God's working in hearts today, let me encourage you. Pray. Maybe you raise your hand for salvation and you'd like to come forward and, and tell one of the pastors about it. We'd love to hear that. That would be great. You can come forward as well if God's working in your heart. Let's just take a moment or two and just spend some time reflecting on what God, how God good is how good God is 
and what he's done for us today. God bless you. you may be seated. Um, don't worry, the restaurants will not be too full today. You'll get right up and get your food, okay? So we're doing good on time. Um, but we are going to ha- show a quick video that will give some instructions about today and a few things coming up next week. And then Brother TJ is going to come up and we're going to draw for the winners of those uh, tickets and you'll enjoy that. And so at this time we'll show the video and then we'll be dismissed in just a few minutes. morning. We're certainly glad you're here and you've joined us for Tailgate Sunday. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissed. And as you head out, down in the parking lot, we have some food set up for you. And we ask you to start with one item. Of course, there are multiple tables with food there. And we do have a lot. And so we're hoping you can get two or three, but start with one uh, and let people kind of get through once and then feel free to go sample everything. And I want to say a special thank you to our people who are getting that food out there and ready. And then as soon as you get your food, make your way to the field and get to enjoy that football game. Uh, I hope you cheer for me and the staff men. Uh, If you are a man of our church, we do ask you to go quickly. If you are playing in the game, get dressed quick and head right down so we can get the game underway. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us on Tailgate Sunday. Plan to join us for Pumpkin Sunday on October 2nd. Come for professional family photos, a petting zoo, inflatables, and an apple slingshot for the kids. Also, you'll get to pick your own pumpkin from the Grandview Pumpkin Patch. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out a Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you'll receive a gift card. Now stick around, enjoy some food, make some friends, and don't miss the staff men versus church men football game, which will start in the field in just a few minutes. Praise the Lord. We're going to give these tickets away. And I wanted to just first off thank all of you who invited someone, even if they weren't here today. I appreciate you inviting someone to church. And uh, we are today, uh, we're going to give out five pairs of tickets. So each ticket has two tickets with it. So it's a set. And we have two sets of uh, Oregon Ducks tickets. Any Oregon Ducks fans out there? No? Okay. I'm giving out one set of Beavers tickets. Any Beavers fans out there? Ducks fans ought to be ashamed of themselves. Some of you wearing colors, wow. And then uh, we have two uh, sets of Portland Trailblazers suite tickets, okay? And so that'll be exciting. Um, if you win uh, the Blazers tickets, I'm going to give you a voucher, and you will call, uh, and then they will give you a list of games you can pick from. And, of course, it's a sweet box, and so they only allow so many in at a time. And so you kind of pick which day you want to go with them, and you have to work with them. So I'll give you those. And if you win the Oregon State tickets or the Ducks tickets, uh, I'm going to give you one of these cards and fill out your name, your email, and your phone number because those are mobile tickets and hand it to me. I'm going to wait right down here after we're dismissed. And so make sure you get this to me so that tomorrow I can send you those tickets and make sure you get those, okay? We had a lot of people who brought people and a lot of first-time visitors, and uh, so we're only drawing five. We'll, we'll call the first one, and I'll let you pick, and then we'll just keep take, giving away tickets until I have nothing left, all right? And so, Pastor Justin, why don't you grab one card? You, yeah, you're going to have to roll it that way. There you go. I forgot to tell him that uh, that crank doesn't work. But anyway, why don't you grab one ticket, then grab another ticket, then grab another ticket, then another, get five. Try to grab them separate, so don't grab them together. And give me a stack of five, and we'll just go through them. And the top one will be the first one, and we'll work our way down through. I appreciate you so much. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, I will mention as he's drawing those cards, if you are playing. By the way, if you're a, uh, a church man and you say, I didn't sign up or anything, that's okay. You can still play if you want. Uh, good luck out there. Watch out for me. And uh, But we're going to head right to the field. So if you're, you're one of the men playing, grab your food to go, head right to the field, um, and, and we're going to get the game underway even while everyone's getting the food, and so we won't have a lot of time to wait. All right, you got those five cards? Here we go. How many are nervous? Anybody nervous? Okay, I'm nervous. Here we go. Which one's the top one? So one, two, three, four, five. Oh, my. Here we go. 
So the first one, and it is possible that, that if you brought a friend, you both could win tickets. That, that could be. I mean, that is possibility. All right, the first one, and I'll let you choose, uh, is Sharon True. Where's Sharon at? Sharon True, where are you? Are you in here, Sharon? Where's she at? In the very back. Uh, Pastor, can you run this over there? Miss Sharon, Blazers, Ducks, or Beavers? Which one? The Blazers. Okay. There we go. Thank you. Let's give her a big hand. Thank you, Sharon. And then our next winner uh, is, I believe it's Marie. Marie Garcia. Marie Garcia. Where are you at, Marie? All the way in the balcony. Uh, I'll, have it, I'll have you run it up there so you can just stay there. Uh, what do you want? Ducks, beavers, or blazers? Which one? Rock, paper, scissors. Ducks, ducks tickets, okay. Make sure you fill this out. Do not leave without me getting this, okay? There you go, Pastor. Uh, maybe Pastor Jeremy can run that up there. Excellent. So, by the way, everything's still available. Okay, we've got one, one pair of Beavers tickets, one pair of, duck t- one pair of Ducks tickets, and one Blazers tickets left. Here we go. Uh, where is Mario and Tiffany at? Mario and Tiffany both came today. Where are they at? In the balcony up there. Awesome. You got a choice. Blazers, Ducks, or Beavers? They're, look at the family whispering. They're whispering. Beavers tickets. There you go. Beavers. And some of the Beavers fans are now crying right now. No more Beavers tickets. So that means I have a set of Ducks tickets and a set of Blazers tickets left. Um, Here we go. Where is Eddie? I believe it's Previs. I met him earlier. Eddie, where are you at? Eddie, right here in the middle. Uh, Blazers or Ducks? Blazers or Ducks? Blazers tickets. Excellent. Thank you, Eddie, for being here today. And then the last one, uh, which is a set of Ducks tickets. This person invited uh, and had some visitors with them today, uh, Chuck and Kristen Dalby. And they are actually downstairs. They got food they're cooking, curry and rice they got for you. And so we'll make sure that they get, because they did bring some adults. Let's give them a big hand, even though they won't hear it. Any other announcements? Hey, who's hungry? All right, Brother Jeremy, why don't you come up and pray for the food, and then we'll be dismissed. And I hope you'll, you'll stay, and don't forget, 5 o'clock is moved up after the game. Brother Jeremy's going to pray for us, and then you can go get some food. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we've had together as a church. I pray that you would bless the activities this afternoon. Thank you for this food that we're about to eat. Pray that you'd bless it to our body. Help everyone have a great week. In Jesus' name, amen.